You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey everybody, if you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The 7 Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word 7 Habits. That's the number 7 Habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Todd Palmer. And Todd is a renowned thought leader, CEO, executive coach, and author who's committed to improving lives. As the CEO of a six-time Inc. 5000 company, Todd knows the struggles that businesses face around the areas of people, cash, strategy, and most of all, execution. Through his firm, Extraordinary Advisors, Todd is able to guide leaders in programs of sustainable profitability. Welcome to the show, Todd. Dennis, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, we were chatting before I hit record, and it's really interesting. Today, we're going to talk about kind of your journey and how you were able to hit the Inc. 5000 six times, not once, not twice, I mean, which is hard enough, right? But six times, just so everybody understands, the Inc. 5000 is where Inc. Magazine takes the fastest growing privately held companies in America and they rank them based on a percentage of growth. And so number one, you have to have meet some pretty stringent requirements just to get in the game. And secondly, it's super competitive. So doing it six times is ridiculous. But before we dive into that, Todd, do us a favor, tell us a quick backstory and then we'll dive right in. Sounds good. You know, it's you're absolutely right. It's a, quite the... Uh quite the challenge to, to, to scale the summit of the ink list six times. And, you know, it didn't come without its challenges. You know, I started the company when I was 27 years old with uh, money from one of the three F's, friends, family, and fools. And I was very fortunate to, to get off to a really great start because in 1997, the economy was pretty much where it is today from the employment landscape. We're at full employment. If you could find people as a staffing company, you were able to, you know, quickly turn them into dollars in the door. Well, fast forward to 2006, nine years in, you know, I think I've got a lot of stuff figured out. I step out of the business a little bit to do a couple of other things and put someone else in charge. Well, within a, within a very short period of time, we were in pretty bad shape. By September of 2006, the company and me personally were about $600,000 in debt. We were 60 days away from running out of cash. So on September 9th, 2006, I walked in and fired my entire company, got rid of the toxic culture, and I started over. And that's really kind of where the Inc. 5000 journey began. I stopped hiring people with strong resumes in the staffing space. And instead, I started hiring people with strong DNA. So I just, I swapped out the resume, brought in the DNA and pivoted off a couple of other different things, really delved back deep into the weeds of the company. And we were able to, like you said, make the Inc. 5000 six times. Yeah, that's perfect. So tell me, the company itself, it's diversified industrial staffing. That's what it is, correct? That's correct. Okay. And so, I mean, industrial staffing, is it that specific? Is it that niche? Is that really what you do? You're super niche in that spot. Correct. And that's one of the big differentiators we had that allowed the growth to occur. Prior to 06, 
we did generic staffing. We were competing against the Kelly Services, the Manpowers, the Adecos. Well, 06 started over, had a mountain of debt, and I was calling companies, you know, back in the sales seat and asking them simple questions like, well, you know, if you could hire anybody today, what would they look like? And I kept getting the same feeling or the same answer over and over again. And the answer was, I need to hire CNC machinists, specifically CNC programmers. So, you know, got the opportunity on the phone. I said, well, so if I find you a CNC programmer, you'd hire him tomorrow. Yes, I would. Okay, great. You do realize that's going to cost more than just your average temporary helper or staffing person. They go, that's fine. Really? So let me tell you. So how long have you been looking for a CNC programmer? Because I've stopped looking. They're impossible to find. Can't find it, the kind of guy I need. I don't even have an opening for one right now. They're so valuable to me, I'd make a spot on my team for them. So the inflection point really became increased demand, diminished supply. If I could be the herder of CNC unicorns, I could really charge more for what we did. And that's really the genesis of what we started doing, getting away from being a generic provider to really focusing on the industrial manufacturing space, specifically CNC programmers, as well as CMM programmers, as well as you know high-skilled G6-type welder type of folks. Gotcha. Perfect. So yeah, obviously, I'm a big believer in riches or in niches. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Can you give us a sense as to how big the company is today, whether it be revenue or employees or growth, some, some sort of sense of how big you are today? Sure. Right now, we're running at about an $8 million run rate. And what we've done, though, is we've really throttled back the growth. And last year, we ran the Inc. 5000 list. I was having a conversation with some of the, the management at Inc. and some of the, the head editors. And what we were talking about was, you know, is this a sustainable run rate for our company as well as other companies? And it really became very clear that a lot of the fast growth companies were to the point where they were going to grow out of business. And they couldn't maintain the proper margins for the, the strategic way they wanted to go. So at that point, we made the decision, we're going to focus more on margin business, not just revenue business. So we've throttled around but anywhere between the 5 and $8 million number for quite a while so that we could add more dollars to the bottom line. And the great thing about it is because we've really pivoted into that margin space, that $600,000 of debt we had back in 06 has been completely paid off for quite a few years. Everybody was paid in full, bankers, vendors, the whole nine yards, so that you know, we can go on and have a, a, you know, most staffing companies have to factor their invoices, for example. We have a line of credit that we barely have to use because we decided, the same time we pivoted off into stronger margins, that we weren't going to be the bank to our clients. So our payment terms are much more aggressive than a typical staffing company because, frankly, we're finding the hard-to-find people. They get paid on a bi-weekly or weekly basis, and so should we. We need to have tighter payment terms. Staffing companies, you know, 06, 07, are running 90-day payment terms. We're down to 14 to 21 days. Wow. So you recognize, obviously, I mean, you're not in this for top line revenue, right? I mean, you can't spend the top line and being a privately held company. I mean, I, I'm not sure that you have, you know, dreams of someday being public. So, I mean, obviously it's really more about profit. And so you decided to hone in on that. And I think that's huge. I mean, I think a lot of people get lured into the big numbers, especially when you start talking about companies on the Inc. 500 year after year after year, because you you know, as well as I do, it gets super hard to snowball those numbers year after year. To go from 1 million to 2 million, that's easy. But to go from 10 million to 20 million, that's a whole different animal. So, so yeah, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. So let me ask you this. Today, what's the number one strategy that, that you're using to get new customers for your company today? What is it? If you had to pick one, what would it be? You know, really, it's probably not what you'd expect. We've really had to pivot away from getting a business as our new customer. Now our new customer is the candidate. 
it's the world of employment has changed. You've got the baby boomers going out the door. You've got a country at full employment at a 4% unemployment rate. Throw into that, you've got a labor participation rate that is at a 46-year low. And you get your, your millennials coming in the door, supposedly, but their unemployment rate as a category is 13%. So we've really had to pivot and shift our customer focus from businesses that can use our people to the people that our customers can use because we can go out and get plenty of job orders. I can't go out and get plenty of people. So we've really had to pivot not only who our audience is, but how we target them through things like LinkedIn and job boards, through some automated tools that we're implementing, and some ways to really treat that candidate who used to be what we used to promote to the marketplace. Now he he or she is our most valuable customer because at the average candidate, if they're on the job market, is getting anywhere from three to five offers within one to three week period. Yeah, that really resonates. You have multiple customers, much like I had. I had a logistics company and you know, we would work with shippers, producers, manufacturers, importer, exporters, and we could get orders from them. We could get what they call tenders or orders to move freight from point A to point B. But if we couldn't find a piece of equipment like a truck or, you know, rail or ocean or air capacity, it didn't matter, right? We'd have a dead order sitting there where nobody would cash in. You didn't help the customer. Nobody made any money. So that makes a ton of sense. So what's the strategy? What's the number one strategy you're using today? to find candidates if you want to use that as your customer model? You know, the biggest strategy we've really had to implement is how do we become that employer of choice? What are we going to do for them to get them attracted and working with us? And everybody's a little bit different. we got some categories where we're offering anywhere from a $1,000 to $3,000 signing bonus with us that we pay. We don't bill it back to the customer because if we can find this person, it's nearly a guaranteed placement. So we look, we're offering a hiring bonuses. We are, are going after non-traditional recruiting methods, such as how do we use Facebook to connect with people on there to get them engaged with us? You know, at the end of the day, like you said, using your example with the freight business, I can go out and get plenty of orders. If I can't deliver the goods, it doesn't really matter. And nowadays, you know, we've got st- I, staffing companies are filling anywhere from 20 to 25 percent of their opportunities. So if, to get two and a half, three people working, I've got to get 10 orders. I do consulting with one company in the staffing space. They fill only 3% of their orders because of the lack of population in the specific niche that they're in. So we've got to do anything we can to get those candidates interested and connected with us and become loyal to us. Love it. That's perfect. Okay, great. So listen, let's dig right in because I know that you had a few, you know, let's call it pillars or things you wanted to share that really were the driving force behind you hitting the Inc. 5,000 six times. I mean, that doesn't happen on accident. Trust me, I know. And I sure, I'm sure you'd agree. So could you take us through that framework really quick? That would be awesome. Sure. So really, it, it, there's four categories, and then there's the overriding umbrella of the four categories. And the four categories are really simple. Strategy, execution, cash, and staff. Now, the overriding umbrella for those categories are people. Now, your people are making your decisions about your cash use, usage, People make decisions about strategy, execution, and who stays and goes off the teams you run. When it comes to, you know, what, what I often try to impress upon my clients at Extraordinary Advisors is focus on the margin, not on the revenue, like we've talked about. Also, if you're having hard-to-fill positions, you've got to invest in training. Got to get people into the seats because the battle for talent isn't going to go away even when a recession hits. So you've got to focus on the DNA of the person, not the resume of the person. Get them involved. And at the end of the day, again, some of the things that we've already talked about, but I think it really resonates and needs to be repeated. We're not the bank for our customers. Our customers have to go out and get their own banking relationships. So 
customers who beat us up, especially in the, you know, I'm in the Detroit, mar- Detroit metro market, you, had, you used to have the big three that would really press upon incredibly difficult payment terms, you know, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. Those vendors who are agreeing to those terms are the bank for those companies. And we're not in the banking business. We're in this human capital staffing business. We've got to focus on what we do best and we need to be paid accordingly and we can't be out there having massive large receivables that can somehow, over the course of time, can be dumped through bankruptcy. That just puts us in a real vulnerable spot. Yeah. So cash, strategy, execution, and people. Those are the four you said, right? That's correct. Okay. So you talked about cash. Obviously, you know, a lot of people have this misnomer that, you know, they realize that cash flow is king. So you've reversed that, you know, that cash flow machine where you were negative and now you're positive because of the terms you've implemented that allows you to give you a lot of different options when you're trying to recruit new talent, because again, you're going to get paid quicker and that changes the entire dynamic of how you can grow. So awesome. We touched on cash. What about strategy? Strategy is to really figure out what do you, you know, it's a hedgehog concept from Jim Collins. It's not complicated, but it's very difficult to execute. What can you do better than anybody else in the world? Whether it's in the staffing space, the logistics space, if you're in the restaurant space, what do you do better than anybody else? Or at least what do you think you do better? What is your financial economic indicator? So for my business, it's margin per dollar worked for the the human capital that works through us. And how do we goose that number and increase that number? And ultimately, why are you doing what you're doing? What's going to get you as the entrepreneur, you as the business leader out of bed every day on the tough days? So, you know, how can you be the greatest at the world? Take that, overlay that with what is your, your financial variable? And then why do you do it? And where those, no, those three pieces intersect, that's what makes you special, cool, and unique. Okay. So execution and strategy, those two seem to be tied together and almost at the hip, right? Can you talk about those two a little bit? So sure. So when you when you figure out the strategy you want to go down to, again, what, what are you going to be different, special, and better at than anybody else? How do you get there? How do you tell your story? And then how do you execute? And the biggest challenge that I, especially with the entrepreneurs that I work with when it comes to the execution is how self-critical the entrepreneur will be. They will beat themselves up so, so painfully bad in the execution phase. And the execution phase is really where you iterate. It's where you learn. You find out this is what works. This is what doesn't work. So I need to do more of what works and what what doesn't work and be okay with failing forward. I just call it failing forward into success. If you look at a, the tech space is famous for this. They have a fail fast thought process that encourages the the teams to fail quickly because the quicker they fail, the quicker they get to the finish line of a a completed product. So the execution phase involves customer data, customer feedback. The execution phase involves who are your stakeholders and how does your product or service impact them. It's not just a straight line. It's several different tributaries off of the same river. But the execution phase is really where the rubber meets the road. One of my favorite execution stories is that of Colonel Sanders. The guy went out, 65 years old, drove around the country in his car, living in his car after his one restaurant closed. And he went on 1,009 appointments before he got his first sale. He talks about all the things he learned on all those sales appointments that ultimately within 10 years had him at 600 locations. That's really failing through the execution phase. Yeah. So like you said, it's iterate, 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 and you know, and then observe what's working, what's not working, and then obviously double down on the things that are working. How do, exactly. the, how do the people tie into the success? I mean, I know there's got to be a story there because, you know, in any small business as you're growing, I mean, you, you said at the very beginning, you fired your entire staff, got rid of the toxic culture, and you started from scratch. Doing that, 
What did you do different the second time to make sure that you had the right people, the right culture that were going to jive so that you could actually execute the right way? First thing I did was look in the mirror. How did I get to where I was? What mistakes did I make? And as I mentioned, I hired a lot of people who had a lot of staffing industry experience before 06. I stopped doing that. I went from resume to hire for, to hire for DNA. Second thing is I realized what I was good at as the leader and what I wasn't so good at. I'm good at setting the vision for my company. I'm not necessarily the best person to manage the people. I found someone who embodied the culture, embodied the talking points that we went through, and then could hold the team accountable to those talking points. So she became our culture champion. I trusted her. We, we co-ran the company together in regards to the human capital. And then when it came to the people, we went to the greatest source for your future employees, which are your current employees. We talked to the team, said, we want to grow this thing. We want you to be working with people you like. This is a tough job. It's a tough industry. It's a tough business. Who do you want on your team? Refer your friends. And then ultimately, at that point, we were really able to, to move people going in the right direction. We came up with things such as ways to measure the KPIs so people knew exactly what they were held accountable to. We then Now we're to the point now where we're using things like colorcode.com, 16personalities.com to measure who we really are as people so that we can work in tandem better to everybody's strengths without having to be stressed about whether the choice of language is inappropriate because now I have a DNA map of how to work with everybody based upon language that most appeals to them. Ah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that took a lot of cojones hiring or I mean, firing your entire staff. I mean, you know, tell me, I mean, you know, you came in one day and just said, I'm done with this. I mean, or did, had you labored on that issue for weeks or months? Well, it's a great question. And I did labor on it for quite a while and I became paralyzed. I couldn't make a decision. So I had one credit card left. And, you know, when you're $600,000 in debt, you couldn't run out of money. You're not the most attractive person to anybody anyways from a banking perspective. So I took one credit card I have and I found a consultant who specialized in my space and I hired him and I paid him off that on that card. And I said, I got to turn this thing around. What's the first thing I need to do? And he's like, you've got to figure out who do you want on your team and who don't, who don't you want on your team? Why do you want them versus why don't you want them? And we did a whole people analysis. He actually came in, met with the team. Said, hey, you got some real some real challenges here. Said, well, at the end of the day, I don't trust the majority of my leadership team. And they, they've created a toxic culture within the second tier of leadership. I think I need to let everybody go. He encouraged me not to do that. I said, at the end of the day, I'm gonna bet on myself before I bet on somebody else. And if I have to, you know, do this thing for a while alone, I'm willing to pay that price because ultimately at the end of the day, I'm the one who picked the team, I hired the team, I managed the team put the next leader in place. So this is really my choice. These are, these are my decisions that got me here. I need to be self-accountable. And at the end of the day, I'm going to have to let everybody go and start over because I just simply don't trust them. Yeah. So you owned it and then you're the better man for it. You had to start back from square one and maybe roll your sleeves up and do a little extra work that you probably hadn't been doing the week or months before. And it's paid off in spades. Obviously, six-time Inc. 5000 is amazing. So let me ask you a question. We're going to get we're getting close to wrapping it up here, but Knowing what you know now, right? Hindsight being 2020, what would you do different with your current business to help it get further, faster? I mean, I'm talking post start over, right? You fired everybody. Now we're post start over. You know, with this new framework, this new business, what would you do different? Well, what I'm, what I'm doing now, I'm, I'm actually back working more and more in the, in the recruiting business on a day to day basis. And when, 
and I've been inspired by the clients that I work with at Extraordinary Advisors and how I'm helping them grow their business. And I'm seeing all these different technology plays. And it basically, we're now we're taking every single job in the company, we're, we're line iteming, line iteming everything, every activity out, and we're seeing ways to either automate it, optimize it, or outsource it. So at the end of the day, the people we have working for diversified industrial staffing will be working in their unique ability to the greatest of their strengths, doing parts of the job they like the most, and the other things will be taken care of either through outsourcing, optimization, or technology. And the goal really is to grow the revenue without having to grow the headcount because people are in their unique ability. And I find that you know the clients that I work with at Extraordinary Advisors inspire me with their ability and their fearlessness to try new things. And we weren't always doing those things over the last few years. We got very satisfied with where we were. We had, like I said, the great run with the ink list. Well, now we're, we're kind of taking a little bit more of a startup thought process. And we're, we're spending money on technologies. And the way that the, the costs have come down in a lot of the technologies, if we say, hey, listen, we only want to try this for 30 days. Are you okay with it? I'm surprised, but pleasantly so, that all the different modules we're putting in, they're on 30-day contracts. So if they don't work, our outlay is very, very limited. And that's been the most exciting thing is to put a piece of technology in place, try it for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. If it's working, amp it up. And if it's not working, cut it loose. Love it. That's perfect. So you're you're lean, you're iterating, you're testing, and then you're doubling down on what's working. That's awesome. So exactly. um, so um, we're going to do rapid fire here on these next two questions. What's your favorite growth tool or software that you're using today? I mean, that that I couldn't have teed that up any better considering the fact you're testing all these tools. But what would, if you had to pick one, what would it be? Just one. Wow. So it, again, most of the things I'm going to reference are going to be tied to our, our space in the staffing industry. We're using a tool right now called Sense HQ, which sits on top of our ATS platform. And it allows us to not lose touch or contact with any of our candidates. And it's, uh, we're building it out code by code, line by line, so that if we, get a, if we get a great candidate that we're engaged with, but we just don't have a job for him or her right now, we're able to set up an automatic algorithm that stays in touch with that person, communicates with that person, and allows a human being in my staff to join the conversation at an appropriate benchmark so that we're able to then help them find their next job. And that not, might not be for a year or two, but that investment we're putting in now and the value that person is going to have is going to be immeasurable, I think. We're also taking a look and we're using a secondary tool called Job Addicts. And we just discovered that within the last couple of weeks. And it's going to allow us to essentially to bid out the, our ranking within all the search engines and on all the and all the job board placements so that we can get the highest placement for the lowest value dollar so that if we're getting great ad traction for one of our jobs, then we'll peel back the spend on that, adjust the spend accordingly to another category for a job where we need to get more people, and the algorithm will do that automatically based upon preset uh, the preset number of candidates we need for each position. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. It's not a use, universal blanketing like you would see maybe at a, a ZipRecruiter or an Indeed. It allows us to really take ownership of that spend so that it's most appropriately allocated for the highest ROI. Perfect. Well, listen, last but not least, Tell us one book that you would recommend to my audience, and we'll close it out for today. Yeah, actually, the the book I'm reading right now is "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blank" by Mark Manson, and it really talks about how to focus one's thought processes and allow yourself to get everything you want out of business and out of life without having a lot of guilt associated, without having to worry about what other people think of you. And entrepreneurs, I think we suffer from that that imposter syndrome sometimes. And ultimately, it allows you to, to focus on the things that matter the most. 
whether it's, you know, and for me, it was when I, in 06, when I redefined what success meant to me. Success had been, you know, how much money can I make? What kind of house can I live in? All those trappings. Now, for me, success is really simple. Success is doing what I want, when I want, how, as often as I want to do it, and with whom I want to do it with. It doesn't have to be a, a price attached to it. And that book has freed up my mind to even push that agenda even further for me defining success for myself. Awesome. Well, listen, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about diversified industrial staffing, and we'll close it out for today. Yeah, the best place to reach out to me would be through extraordinaryadvisors.com. If you're looking to have a conversation with me about coaching or, or speaking, please just mention that you heard me here on Dennis's podcast, and I'm happy to give you an hour of my time for free as a thank you for listening. And if you want to learn more about our, our recruiting business, Diversified Industrial Staffing, and that's really simple, it's distaffing.com. We work nationwide placing people in the skilled trade sector. Perfect. Hey, listen, appreciate you being on here, Todd. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me on. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.